They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. So Elliot has refused to turn on his light. We're recording very late in the evening, and Elliot is not turning on the light. So I am doing this podcast to what appears to be Batman in Crime Alley. So that's really phenomenal. Elliot, how, how's it going over there in Darkville? It's great. I love it. It's <laughs> nice and dark. I'm sure you do. Uh, the audience might be wondering what happened. I know we referenced that we might be doing Banshees or seeing Banshees over the weekend. We did see it. We saw Banshees of Inishirin and we saw Tar. Uh, Elliot, just we're not doing either of those, obviously, if you can read the title of the episode. But Elliot, which of the, uh, very briefly, very, very briefly, which of the two did you like better? And what, what were your brief thoughts on those two movies that we saw this weekend? Um, I probably liked Banshees better by a hair, um, because there's some weird stuff in Tar, but I really, really liked both of them. Banshees of Inshirin is a fantastic portrait of how hurt people hurt people. It's a really depressingly realistic depiction of the ways that people get stuck in psychological ruts and how that leads them to hurt themselves and each other. Uh, psychologically and physically, as it may be. Tar was a fantastic character study of this obsessive uh, conductor. Uh, she's called a maestra, I think is the female term for maestro, or something like that. She's a real woman of vices, uh, as it turns out. But yeah, it's just, Kate Blanchett does a fantastic job. And it's just a really interesting movie. And the sound design is phenomenal like when she's conducting the orchestra it's so deep and full-bodied it's uh i would if you are going to see tar which let's be honest you're probably not but that's fine but if you're one of the six people who's going to see tar i think you should see it in the theater for the sound i think it's that good yeah, I definitely agree. I think I think Banshees was also the one I, I liked more. For the same reason, I think Tar, which is also three hours long, is has a few scenes that I think are just kind of weird. Otherwise, I agree with everything you said. Tar is an amazing character study. Banshees is a really fascinating look, I think, too, about how, and a lot of the director who did Banshees, his movies are kind of like this, how being good in society begets good in society that you kind of have to take the first step and be like, okay, I'm going to be a good person here, even though it's hard. And I think Banshees is leaning more into what happens when you don't do that. When someone throws down the gauntlet and says, Hey, you have to be good and you cave and decide to be bad. So I think both of those movies are fin very good. Very excited for them. But instead of that, <laughs> we're doing, uh, Godzilla, the 2014 Godzilla, 
uh, not the Roland Emmerich one. So, Elliot, why don't you introduce a bit of uh, this movie, what this movie, what the what the deal is, why we chose it, why you chose it. You you were given the option. You chose it. I really can't stand when you give me these tasks and they're ostensibly simple, but then you just start piling on other things that I should talk about. So I'm going to refuse to say, to explain most of that, and I'm just going to introduce the movie itself. It's the 2014 American reboot, quiet now, Nathan, it's the 2014 American reboot of Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards, uh, starring Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, and uh, briefly, Brian Cranston. There. Now you can ask me to talk about something else. So, Elliot, uh, are you grumpy right now because I have interrupted your playthrough of God of War Ragnarok? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm grumpy right now because I have a sour disposition generally. Also, it's late at night and I'm tired. Sure, sure. I haven't had supper yet, so I'm kind of, I'm a little harebrained as well. I was, I I gave Elliot, you the option of choosing a movie. I was kind of happy you chose this movie, because I do think, one, I really like this movie, and two, I find a lot of the filmmaking choices in this movie to be really fascinating. And so I was really excited to be able to talk about it. Uh, I guess we should start by saying I have not seen the original Godzilla, the original Japanese Godzilla from like 1954 or whenever it came out. Elliot, I don't believe you've seen the original Godzilla. Have you? I have. Really? Okay. So uh, Elliot's a bit of a better Godzilla fan than me then. <laughs> I'd also start by saying we did watch the Roland Emmerich Godzilla when we were kids. I don't know if you remember this, but I very vividly remember it was a weekend where mom was gone. And whenever mom was gone, dad would only show us a movie. Honestly, whenever either of our parents was gone, our parent or other parent would show us a movie that they thought maybe the other parent wouldn't approve of. So dad showed us Godzilla. And I remember us getting pizza and us just thinking it, at least me, as a child, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then going back to it, I was like, wow, this is really bad. This is really terrible. So I think our experience with Godzilla is somewhat mixed then in terms of coming into this movie. I haven't seen the Roland Emmerich one since I was a child. So to me, in my mind, it still is an absolute masterpiece. I do remember... I do remember that, and I remember loving it, but, you know, I remember loving Phantom Menace and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. What can you say? The stupidity of youth, or maybe just the ignorance of youth. But, uh, yeah, so there, Dad, there's your monthly shout-out. Hope you're happy. And we, didn't we see this one? So I agree, our experience of Godzilla is not exactly in-depth, but didn't we see this movie in theaters? Yes. I w- yeah, I was going to say this too, that this movie came out right as I was getting really into like watching trailers and getting excited for movies. So this and I think Interstellar were two movies from 2014 that I 
very closely followed like the production of it. I was following like, oh, this guy's the director. And then I remember watching the trailers and watching like YouTube analysis of the trailers. So yeah, we saw it in theaters. And honestly, watching this in theaters is one of the fonder memories I have of watching a movie with you and dad or just watching a movie because it was really, it was really a good movie. And it really surprised me in a lot of ways by how much I enjoyed it, too. Well, I guess that's a good uh, diving off point to talk about how we feel about this movie. So this movie isn't exactly critically acclaimed. I mean, it did pretty well at the box office. It did. It got some solid reviews. I think it's like a at a 70-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the audience score is in a similar kind of place. I can see by the reflection in Nathan's glasses, he's looking it up or looking something up. It's possibly it's possible he's just doing something completely irrelevant. Anyway, so while Nathan plays uh, Tetris online, I want to say that we probably like this movie more than most people. A lot of the complaints that people levy against this movie i think uh and nathan you can correct me if this is not your experience but i think is actually a lot of what makes the movie work for me um so it's pretty restrained with its use of godzilla himself uh, i think so that we'll just start there with godzilla himself I think it works really, really well. I think that in movies like these that are about spectacle and, uh, you know, blockbusters, I think that restraint is underutilized because it can create more catharsis when, you know, when things do actually uh, start getting crazy. And I, I just think it works really well here that... I will say that they probably overdo it a little bit. Uh, like the first time he shows up, when he climbs out of the sea and does the roar at the the winged Mutu in Hawaii, I think they probably could have let us see him for a little bit longer there. But in general, I think the way that it keeps Godzilla often in the background works to build up to his final fight at the end, which I think is really well done. And also just sort of, it's related to what I think is probably both of our favorite parts about this movie is how, how, like, I don't know, almost horror movie adjacent it is. Like, I would put this in the same kind of, horror-adjacent category as something like Jurassic Park. That is definitely a B-movie, sort of blockbuster, spectacular movie, but has legitimate tension in it. But yeah, what? so what do you think, Nathan, about this movie generally and how it handles uh, the title character? Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I That's what I was referring to when I was talking about earlier that I find the filmmaking techniques used in this movie really interesting. And that specifically is with its treatment of Godzilla, that it's very restrained. It's very careful that it's never going to give you so much that by the end of the movie, you're like, okay, it's Godzilla. He's big. He's scary. I don't care anymore, which I feel kind of the 
second and third movies in the MonsterVerse franchise that feature Godzilla kind of fall into, that by the end of the movie, it's just a big CGI mess of nothing that I can't be bothered to care about. But when Godzilla shoots atomic breath down the Mutu's throat, I'm still like, that's so dope. Like, this is only the fourth time we've seen Godzilla. So I'm a huge fan of it. And I think it's not just that I'm a pretentious child who likes feeling smarter for enjoying movies that the general audience dislikes. Because even when I saw this at, in 2014 in theaters, I remember just being so over the moon with the ending that the final battle sequence was so cool and so had so many great moments of payoff, like when he fires up the atomic breath for the first time, when he kills the winged Mutu, and then when he kills the second Mutu, obviously, as well, that I think by building up Godzilla in the way the movie does, when it finally gives you Godzilla, it makes it so much more enjoyable. And I think that's not going to be true for everyone. If you go into the movie expecting a significantly more popcorn blockbustery sort of thing that Godzilla King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong kind of delivers on, you'll obviously be disappointed. But if you go in with an open mind, I think you'll really appreciate the treatment of Godzilla and the way it builds up Godzilla as a, you know, a real force of nature. Yeah, uh, stop grinning. <laughs> um, I just love talking to you, Elliot. <laughs> you're not talking to me, Nathan. You're talking to the shadow. I am talking to the shadow. Good grief. Yeah, I I agree, obviously, because you basically just restated what I already said. Um, but this is gener- this is sort of my take on like really over-the-top, like, splatter films, uh, if you're familiar with that term. Uh, it's about movies that are really, like, really, really violent, exploitative horror movies that are about gore and elaborate, violent kills. You know, I think that that kind of thing... So, this is my theory. I have never watched a splatter film, and I don't intend to, but... My theory is that that would just eventually get numbing. There's only so many ways you can graphically deconstruct the human body before you just sort of are like, yeah, whatever. I mean, that guy got his head crushed, I guess, but the guy from 20 minutes ago got his ribcage stomped in. So what, what am I supposed to do with that? Which is why I appreciate horror movies that are more restrained. That's one of the reasons why I like the the first installment of the new Halloween trilogy. Uh, I can't remember when that was. Was that 2016, I think? Yes. No, 2018. 2018, okay. Uh, I, it's a lot more restrained than so many horror movies in its carnage and its violence, which both helps create tension while you wait for the blood to start really flowing and also it's more rewarding it creates a more rewarding payoff you know if you just get right into things yeah you get tired of it pretty soon and i i really dislike the other monsterverse movies for a lot of reasons one of them being how i think that they overuse godzilla 
And another one is down to like just the way that the monsters in this movie are filmed, uh, which I'm sure that Nathan also has been really excited to talk about because I think that the sense of scale in this movie is so much more profound and impactful than anything in the other two movies. Because in those two movies, the, the scale is just stupid. Like, they're sh the way that the monsters are shot is always from far away. It's always trying to, like, keep the entire monster in shot so you can see them, so you can see Godzilla and Ghidorah beating the snot out of each other. There's no real perspective to it, so it doesn't really feel like they're all that big. It feels like two normal-sized things beating each other up in a miniature city. You know what I'm saying? Because this movie films Godzilla either in proportion to things like he's near a skyscraper that's bigger than him or just where he's not completely filling the frame, it accomplishes exactly what you're talking about, that it makes Godzilla seem really big. One of the things that I really like, just to go off of that, is how how often it, the shots of the monsters in Godzilla and the Mutus are like from inside a car, uh, a car window, or like from a character's POV, like behind a gas mask, or inside a... Uh, an office building just sort of like panning through the windows to track the action because a I think it does a really good job of putting the viewer in the scene because obviously these are the places where people are most likely going to be when they see Godzilla and the monsters and also like you said it just makes it it makes him them feel so much bigger because well, he looks so much bigger. Like, there's actual framing that's constructed to emphasize his size, their sizes. And another thing to, you know, to kind of, well, you can talk about, you can keep talking about scale if you have other stuff to say, but to close out my thoughts on the way this movie does scale, which is absolutely my favorite part about this movie, is that they're not, they're not very fast. Like, the monsters in... Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Godzilla versus Kong, they're so fast, which is another reason why they feel so small. Because they don't actually... They, like, are pulling out kickboxing ninja moves, practically. I think Godzilla, like, does a spin kick on someone at some point. It's ridiculous. That does not happen. That's a joke. But, uh, yeah, they... It's like, it's not physically possible for something that big to move that fast. And in this movie, it, they feel a lot bigger because they're, they're lumbering. Their movements are slow and kind of clumsy and awkward. So everything about the way that they've handled Godzilla and the monsters from the framing, you know, the cinematography stuff to just the way that they've programmed their movements as CGI creations, I think lends or works towards creating this sense of scale that, I don't know, it really contributes to the movie's atmosphere of tension and legitimate, like, awe and terror. Like, the first time I saw this in theater, Godzilla is legitimately terrifying because because of all the things that we've been talking about. Like, he's so big and... He's so loud. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, and I think it just also connects to the way 
that Gareth Edwards constructs and the rest of his team constructs just like set pieces that he grounds it in a very human action. Like that first scene where Godzilla comes out of the ocean, he grounds it on the little girl and her dad and them experiencing kind of the tsunami that that Godzilla causes as he's coming towards the island. And it just made me think about like the great disaster movies work because they ground you and then they show you something from a ground level that would be terrifying to see. And I think a lot of modern disaster movies go too big with it where it's just so huge that to show it on a ground level would just be like inconceivable, like Moonfall, which came out this year or last year or something, which was about like the moon attacking Earth or something ridiculous like that. But there's scenes in the trailer where it's like whole cities are being destroyed simultaneously. And it's like, how could you show that on a ground level and be able to like communicate how big and how dangerous that event is. And so it becomes so ludicrous that people watching it are just like, well, this is clearly ridiculous. Whereas this movie, you see the family, you see a tsunami and you're like, okay, that makes like not a huge amount of sense. Obviously Godzilla is an inconceivably large animal. And then the scenes in San Francisco, like the bus on the bridge and then Elizabeth Olsen on the ground seeing Godzilla when he first kind of comes into San Francisco, they just do such a fantastic job of grounding the action so it comes off as more realistic than it really is, That I, which is something that I think other disaster movies do not as well. And as a result, they're just not as enjoyable to watch because you're like, well, that's just clearly ridiculous as opposed to good disaster movies where you really feel it and you're like, whoa, that's crazy. That was nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this touches on the horror adjacent elements of this movie that are a big part of why I like it and a big part of why I think it's so unique because the scene on the bridge, that's a great scene. And it's got a perfect example of what I was talking about with how it's filmed because there's this extended shot as the bus is driving over the bridge. Uh, the camera is inside the bus and it sort of holds on Godzilla and pans across the windows uh, as the bus is moving to keep Godzilla in the shot. And so he's obscured by stuff. You can hear everyone all of the kids are, of course, very uh, perturbed by everything that's happening. And, yeah, it just it's goes so far to creating an atmosphere of more personal tension. You know, like what you were saying with the action being more ground level, it's so much more intimate and personal than so many other disaster movies, which are about this really removed sense of spectacle, like... You're just watching it to see the explosions and stuff, which is fine. You know, the, there's, a, there's a time and a place for that. But in this movie, it's more about trying to create the actual, like, terror and perverse sense of wonder that such a insane monster uh, or animal would create uh, in the human psyche. Uh, but other other horror movie elements, I think, are the music. Uh, there's some, like, really, really good tension-building music. 
Um, and the Mutus, like they are legitimately creepy. The way they look and the way they sound and the way they act, like their their design is so alien and weird that yeah, I I don't know. It just it's really effective the way they're the way they're designed and the way they behave because it's so otherworldly. It it really contributes to the sense of tension and again of of terror. Yeah. I guess I'd use that just as a jumping off point to say I love the design of the Mutus. I think choosing new designs as the villains for this first Godzilla movie as opposed to bringing in like Mothra or Rodan or one of the monsters that are maybe more recognizable was a really good move because it allowed them to design villains that fit a newest aesthetic that they were looking for. I also love this iteration of Godzilla. I think it looks fantastic and looks very intimidating and huge. I think there's been a lot of jokes that he looks very fat, but I don't think he looks that fat. (laughs) And I think saying that would hurt the actor's feelings personally. But yeah, I really like those. I guess to pivot maybe away from Godzilla to talk about definitely one of the less incredible pieces of this movie, there are humans. There's people in it. (laughs) There's actors portraying people. Elliot, what do you what do you think of the human parts of this movie? Because I think for most people, this is where the movie kind of falls flat. Uh, yeah. So it it it's been a while. It had been a while since I've seen this movie before. I just recently finished it, and I will say that the human elements are probably the parts of it that held up that did not hold up as well as the rest of it. I would say that it gets the job done. Uh, It gets the job done a lot better than the other two movies, which I think, well, I won't get into what I think about the other two movies, the time and place, Elliot. But uh, in this movie, I think that it's well served by not trying to overcomplicate things, by keeping it simple. You know, it's about the main character is Ford. He's a soldier. He's a, uh, uh, he's a in a bomb squad to defuse bombs. He's trying to get back to his family. You know, it's a very simple kind of story, but it's effective. It's perfect for your monster disaster movies. The family man trying to get to his his people, and sort of running that parallel to the Mutu Godzilla uh, rampage across the world. I think that the caliber of actors here is a bit <laughs> they kind of went overboard like uh dang sally hawkins brian cranston uh, ken watanabe the guy who plays the admiral i'm afraid i don't know what his name is but he's he's got a best actor award for good night and good luck there goes nathan's glasses again telling me what his david straithorn yes uh he's he was in nightmare alley as well not that that matters But yeah, really fantastic actors with not as fantastic material. Like, again, it gets the job done, but there's no real complex character dynamics or motivations. There's no real character development or arc or anything like that. I would say that Elizabeth Olsen is really wasted here, and her character is kind of useless because, I mean, her 
literally her only job in the movie is to A, provide a goal for Ford to work towards, and B, uh, be scared uh, in hospitals and in shelters. Which, fine, you know, whatever. It's not terrible. It gets the job done, is, is basically what I'm saying. Brian Cranston, holy cow, man, he does not phone it in. <laughs> Uh, you know, watching it this time, I was really taken aback. I was like, dang, he is bringing it to this movie. I respect it. I think he does a fantastic... I, I honestly think he does a, He has a really good performance here. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say that too. I, going into watching it this time, I was like, I feel like I remember Brian Cranston being way better than this movie maybe deserved in the sense that the writing is maybe not kind of there. And then, yeah, watching it this time, I was feeling like genuine emotion when his wife that I'd known for like a minute was dying and he was emoting to it. I was like, geez, he is going all in. And yeah, for as much as he's in the movie, he is going really, he's going balls to the wall. And I, I respect it. I think it's one of the best performances in a popcorn flick in a long time, maybe of all time. It's a really impressive performance. And I agree with your other point. It's a very simple story that, yeah, just does a very good job of, I think the best thing I can say about the human element is it's never laughably stupid, which I think some of the other ones have moments where I'm like, this is just such an obviously convoluted, bizarre reason to have this character be where the character needs to be in order to show, oh, whoa, you know, a big monster. And there's never a moment in this movie where I'm like, okay, why would he be here? Why would they be near this? It's always like, yeah, that make, that checks out. And it keeps us engaged in the sense that we know this character, so we don't want this character to die. So I think the human element's adequate, but I don't, I think this is not a movie where you need to have like a marriage story level character arc for people or anything. I think in a movie like this, you just need something good enough to get by. And they, they definitely have that here. I'd say. Yeah. I will say that there are some, there are some kind of dumb things in the, the human parts of the story, mostly as a result of Dr. Sarazawa, um, who is, he's one of the main characters in the original Godzilla movie. In this, he doesn't really have a, it's really just the namesake. But anyway, when he's like saying, let them fight, Godzilla is here to, to be, to bring nature back into balance. Like he's this weird, almost supernatural uh, guardian of the forest or something, I was like, yeah, I'm right here with the Admiral on not doing that, because that's a really stupid idea. Like, that is a long shot. Let's A, hope that Godzilla can beat them, and B, hope that after he's done, Godzilla doesn't decide to just keep walking around the country, wandering through cities and blowing stuff up. Like, yeah, that's a really bad idea. In that scene, when he first raises the the notion of, like, just letting the monsters fight, and then 
the Admiral goes over to talk to him after the meeting to like try to explain himself. And he says, I'm just trying to save lives here. That's my biggest concern. And then he gives him his watch, which was his father's that had stopped. Uh, I guess his father was killed in the Hiroshima bombings. And that's it. Like he just gives it to him and says, that's where that's from. And I was like, Okay, I'm not, and that, you know, he just, like, sort of <laughs> gives the Admiral a significant look, like he's just made some really big, poignant point, and I'm like, I am not seeing the connection here, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I think it's somewhat a failed attempt for this movie to do, from my understanding, what the original movie sort of does, that Godzilla is very much a stand-in for nuclear power and the original movie from my understanding, and Elliot can correct me on this is somewhat of a almost Jurassic park esque warning about the dangers of assuming we can control the science that we create and then do good with that science that Godzilla represents a force of nature beyond humans ability to control. And therefore any attempts to control it or use it to some sort of gain are ultimately uh, pointless and only result in death and destruction for people. But I don't think that really comes through in this movie at all. I think Dr. Sarazoa is the only character experiencing that theme. And I don't know if the movie really represents it because I agree with you. Like him saying, just let them fight is really only easy to say if Godzilla's not, you know, carousing down <laughs> the middle of San Francisco, which is not where you want to be having large, destructive battles. Yeah, thank goodness he's amphibious and spends most of his time in the ocean. Otherwise, he would be fairly disruptive to everyday life. Even if you just put him in the desert, he would, he, well, he would probably leave at some point and walk step on somebody important um and by somebody important i obviously mean anybody because all life is uh is valuable but yeah not a very good idea you know if 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 somebody if like there was a <laughs> if there was a, a a grizzly bear and a wolf in my house and uh, I called the exterminator and he said, just let them fight. The bear has come here to restore balance. And then he's going to leave and go back to the forest peacefully. I would say, okay, well, I would prefer that we explore some other options before we go with the duel. Just let it, let it, let's see what happens route. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very funny. I guess in terms of other stuff, uh, I think the crew for this is so insanely talented. You mentioned the music. I agree the music is very good. Would you I listen would to it casually? I, I consider listening to it casually, yes. But it's it's Alejandra Desplat, I think. Alejandro Desplat. He typically works with Del Toro, or he also does stuff with Wes Anderson. He did Grand Budapest Hotel, which we talked about a bit ago in another episode. 
But yeah, the crew for this, Gareth Edwards is really good, and I'm so happy. I think it's maybe trite to say it, but I'm so glad that Gareth Edwards gets his flowers from Rogue One as much as he does, because I definitely think he deserves it. I think it's kind of a bummer. I don't think he's done a movie since Rogue One, and it seems like from interviews he had kind of a rough experience making that movie, so I don't know when he'll be back, but... Between this and Rogue One, I would be eagerly anticipating the next movie that he did. And then finally, in terms of crew, I just got to shout out the casting director for this film, which is Sarah Haley Finn, who is also the casting director for basically every modern Marvel movie and modern Star Wars movie. And so I just think she deserves a humongous amount of praise for basically discovering such an insane number of actors and having basically the balls to consistently pick no names who've gone on to be some of the biggest Hollywood superstars of today that I just think it's amazing that one woman was behind like Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, Chris Pratt as... Uh, Star-Lord, every character from the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, which, regardless of how you feel, Adam Driver does a fantastic job. John Boyega is really amazing. I just think she does such an amazing job as a casting director. And I never hear anyone talk about it, which is so weird, because usually casting directors get so much praise. (laughs) But I just thought I'd use this opportunity to give her a little shout-out. I did notice her name in the opening credits. Because I've mentioned her so much? Yes, Nathan does talk about uh, Miss Haley Finn at some length on occasion. But uh, yeah, can we talk for a second about the skydiving scene? Because that scene is awesome! Really well shot. I don't know how uh, Mr. Desplat came to the conclusion that he should use the monolith music from 2001 for this scene, but dang if it doesn't work. Like, this is everything that we've been talking about. It's got the music, the cinematography, uh, the way that it's shot, the way that the monsters are framed that creates this sense of scale and terror, especially when they get through the clouds and you can see the city burning and it's got the POV shot uh, from behind a gas mask or something, or not a gas mask, an oxygen mask, and the camera looks up and you at, you just fall right past Godzilla and one of the Mutus fighting. Man, it's good, and it's, yeah, it's, it's like pants-poopingly scary. But not in the, but, you know, and this is why I've been using the word terror instead of horror, uh, in as I've been talking about this, because I do think that there is a difference between horror and terror. That's probably something that I've just completely made up, but terror is different in this movie from the way fear works in horror movies, where it's like dread, you know, it's more psychological, it's more like a fear of something happening to you, I guess. Whereas terror is less, less psychological. It's more closely related to like wonder and awe and stuff like that but wonder and awe at things that are very dangerous and destructive so like terror at say uh, a hurricane something like that 
That probably doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really make any sense to me, and I'm the one who's been talking about it, but there it is. Yeah, honestly, I love a lot of the scenes. I think the reveal of the atomic breath, like I've said, is really dope. And the reveal of Godzilla at the airport. The way this movie constantly does, like, oh, here's this other big thing. It does it more than a couple times in the film. But it's just a very effective way of being of being able to surprise the audience and then show a very big thing. And yeah, I agree. The skydiving scene is so cool. I think that the second trailer for this movie opened with the skydiving sequence, and it was just oh, so good. I also love the scene on the bridge when the planes start falling out of the sky because the EMP hit them. I think that is such a sick visual and such a great way of being like, oh, shoot. Like, oh, dang, the monster's coming. And yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, gosh, this is such a, it's just such a fun movie. It's such a fun, well-made movie. I agree. And, you know, there's the, there's none of that that flair, that panache, that buildup in the other movies. It, there's no, there's no construction it's like they're it's like they're putting in the home theater before they've built the actual house it's just like godzilla right away uses the fire breath right away you got to get everything on the screen at all times as soon as possible and as usual not trying to make fun of anybody who really likes that or really likes those movies you know that's that's great that's it's just for me, for me personally, that doesn't work as well as it works in this movie. But yeah, I I think for me, it works a lot better in this movie because I really prefer the buildup and the tension and that kind of that kind of stuff. But if that's not your bag, then awesome. Go for it, man. All right. Well, I think on that note, let's uh, let's say how much we enjoy that in this movie. I'm going to say for my rating, for all the reasons we talked about, I we talked briefly about there's some thematic elements that I don't think really come across. The human element is fairly nothing, but for all of the stuff we're talking about, this movie is such a fun ride. I always forget by the end of the movie, all of the stuff that I don't like about it because the last like 30 some minutes I think are just flawless and some of the best popcorn blockbuster action you can find. So because of that, I'm going to give this movie, it's like an 8.2. It is, uh, it's so much fun. I think it's so well made. I really like it. Uh, yeah, I agree with everything that Nathan said. There, The human element, it gets the job done. There's some silly stuff. Uh, I think that there are some good actors here who are kind of underutilized or maybe are just given subpar material. And the thematic elements are definitely undercooked, but the spectacle is amazing. It's a really unique approach to this kind of movie, uh, the big monster movie, kaiju movie. Yeah, the music is really good. I love the atmosphere and how it builds tension and terror instead of just getting right into the explosions and the all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to give it a B plus. I feel I feel like so many of the movies we review are in the same like area ratings wise. But we just we just keep choosing movies that we like. If we got more requests of movies we don't like, there would be a wider variety. Or if we went to more terrible movies in theaters, like with Jurassic World, 
we would have more variability. Well, a lot of movies, a lot of movies I'm just indifferent to, and it's really hard to talk at any kind of length about things that you're indifferent to. That is fair. That is true. All right. Well, let's, uh, Let's talk about some other movies that we're not indifferent to that we think you would like if you liked this movie. So I'll go first. I'm going to go with what I think a lot of people might consider one of the original popcorn blockbuster movies, and that would be Steven Spielberg's Jaws. It's a 1970s movie, fairly iconic. Took me a really long time to finally watch it. It wasn't a movie I watched as a kid. I had to seek it out later when I become became more into movies. But I think Jaws is really fantastic for a lot of the same reasons that we've been talking about today. It's treatment of the titular Jaws, the shark that is terrorizing, what is the name of the bay? It's like Peaceful Bay or something. Amityville. Like that. Amityville. The shark is treated with so much, like Elliot was kind of talking about, terror, that it's not just... It doesn't just represent a literal threat. It represents a psychological threat that it, every character experiences every time they're near the water. And it's just so phenomenal. Steven Spielberg, one of uh, the best directors to ever do it. Well, he's up there. He's not up there for me, but he's up there for some people. He does a really phenomenal job in this. I think this is one of his classic movies that definitely holds up. I think watching it today, it's just as well done because it doesn't use a lot of special effects. It's a lot of intrigue. It's a lot of implications of things as opposed to actually showing them. And so as a result, I think it's just a really phenomenal movie. It's a phenomenal monster movie, if you consider the shark a monster, which I think you can. And yeah, really good, iconic soundtrack. I love the trombone shot. It's a great movie. Yeah, okay. It's Amity Island, not Amityville. Um, that's my mistake. I thought it was Andy something. But, uh, yeah, Jaws is a very good movie. My recommendation is probably more, uh, more in line with Godzilla, uh, as a, as a movie, as a genre. I'm not trying to dunk on you. Um, but, so my recommendation is the original, the first Pacific Rim. Uh, it's a movie directed by Guillermo del Toro. Who knows why he directed this movie? Because it's nothing like anything else he's ever done. It's very strange. But uh, I think that this is a really, like Godzilla, it's a really well-made monster action blockbuster movie. I think that Pacific Rim is more straightforward. It's less serious. It's more about the, it's more about the spectacle. It's more about just having fun uh, with big things uh, dealing each other quite serious damage, but it still does have a good sense of scale. It does have good moments of tension. It's got really, it's the monsters are really well designed. The Jaegers are really well designed as well. It's a cool concept. Um, and yeah, it's a re like Godzilla. It's really well put together Really well shot. The action is cool. There's a lot of good reveals of different powers and stuff that come into play. And uh, yeah, it's just a really fun, big, loud action movie. I think that if you like Godzilla 2014, but you do want something that's more about the spectacle 
and more about just having fun, I think Pacific Rim would be perfect. Uh, and I think Pacific Rim still maintains, though, that sort of seriousness and careful dedication to the reveals that for as much as it's more spectacle based than Godzilla, it's still not as willy nilly with things as even its own sequel, which I feel the same, much the same way about as I feel about this Godzilla movie sequels that I think it ultimately boils down to. It feels like watching a little kid smash their action figures together more than it feels like a genuine dedicated director trying to put together a good action set piece but that's just me all right so that's uh that's it for this latest episode of the magellans at the movies it's uh 23 i think we recently elliot i haven't told you this yet we recently hit uh 700 listens lifetime so that's quite a large number i'd say i don't know seems seems big to me more more money than i that's more than I have money in my bank account. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but yeah, very exciting. Elliot's not talking because he just wants to leave me out to dry here to do the outro. <laughs> okay, well, if you direct your attention to the little visualizer at the bottom of the screen, you'll see that there's not actually any space in which I could talk. So I, I could have interrupted you if that's what you were looking for. But if you want me to say some things... I guess I'll say, first of all, that life is hard and full of disappointments, which is why I think that the entire affair is ridiculous, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> uh, also, yeah, it's it's like, it's almost 10 o'clock, and uh, I'm, I'm tired even though, I, I'm tired even though I sleep poorly. It's like I have, I have the worst of both worlds, but I'll save that for the old, the old therapist. Happy? Are you happy? Is this what you wanted? Is this what you wanted me to... Is this what you wanted to hear? Is this what you wanted me to say? Well, I kind of wanted some light, playful banter, but you decided to go aggressively into depressing nihilism and self-reflection for some reason. (sighs) I don't know if you really have a personality for radio, Elliot. That's great, Nathan. Anyway, it's late. Everyone's tired. Everyone has things to do tomorrow. Everyone is everyone is ready to move on with their lives. So Nathan, let's release our listening public to uh, their daily activities or not daily activities. Yep. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. So look forward to that. Or don't.